0: Hey, I'm Sean
1: and I'm Jesse and And we're we're the the DMs DMs of of Vancouver. Vancouver.
0: We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM
1: thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing.
0: So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about fate.
1: Today we're talking to Aubrey Massey. How's it going, Aubrey?
2: Oh, it's going really well. How are you guys?
1: Doing pretty well.
0: Doing pretty good. It's a little cold uh, where we are, but we're managing.
1: (laughs) It could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, So, so, oh, go ahead, John.
0: (laughs) Fate. Uh it's a system that uh, I know that I'm pretty interested in, and I think Jesse is as well. I've got uh, a couple of books uh, sitting above my desk right now, but I haven't really had a chance to, to dive in too much. I've played one game of Atomic Robo, but I think a good place to start is um, tell us how Fate is different than uh, D&D, which I think most of our listeners are probably the most familiar with.
2: Yeah, so... Fate is something that I've run in a few campaigns, so I've played it in a few different settings. Uh, the big, the longest running games have been with a superhero campaign, and right now the podcast that I'm been working on that uses Fate Core. And I feel like the biggest difference between Fate and really D and D is that with D and D, it really comes down to the number crunching. Like you're always thinking about your abilities and the statistics that come with it. And that's how you really work on your character and making sure that it's more powerful is that it comes down to the numbers, but with fate, you really end up focusing on your characteristics of your character and what uh, fate calls aspects, but it's more of the, the words and it really brings out the ability to role play. Like it facilitates Good role play with the players and i feel like that's the biggest difference between the two
0: Alrighty. so one thing that i do know about fate is that it uses aspects which i don't think there really is a good analogy for 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 what aspects are to compare them to something in DD, but i think the closest is probably um i want to say like a combination of skills and classes almost but um, let's let's start there so tell us about aspects and, and what they are in fate
2: yeah this is my favorite thing about the fate system and i think the closest comparison to what it would be on a dnd character sheet is the stuff on the side or the back in which you describe your character it's like the character traits It's essentially what aspects are and like the
0: bonds and flaws and stuff like that yeah yeah it's okay. things
2: like that and so every character in fate has an a- has several aspects and the main one is called the high concept and that's just a general description of your character which i guess would most likely relate to the class of the the character if you were playing d so if you were to have let's say superman if you're playing superman in fate core you would have a high concept of just superpowered alien or something like that. Just very vague, but positive about the character. But then you could also assign a bunch of different aspects to it. Like uh, there's one called the trouble aspect and you would assign that to Superman. It would be something like everybody is afraid of me or everybody's afraid of an outsider like me or something like that. Something that would be typically And then you might have some other stuff like works in a reporter and they're off time, but they're just general descriptions. And there are a lot of it. Sorry. And they don't just describe the character, there are also bonuses to it. So these aspects give the players bonuses on their roles, and they only give you bonuses if the character plays into those characteristics which you have already created and also at the same time if you describe flaws your characters can be rewarded by the gm if the gm kind of exploits the the negative characteristics of the characters
0: right so there's a
2: lot of things to it
0: yeah i remember i played a game of atomic robo um in which one of my characters there i think they're uh, high concept was literally a plant monster. They were a scientist who had actually gotten themselves turned into a plant monster. And I remember from the, the atomic robo rule book, it's, it, they mentioned that the, the concepts, at least for atomic robo, I'm not sure how it is for the other games. The concepts should be something that have like a good side and a bad side. Like it's something that you can use it to your advantage in, in a bunch of different situations. But it should also be something that the GM or other players can use to uh, create some drama or um, undercut you at a dramatic moment and that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, that's one of... I, I think it's it's the greatest thing about it. So in the podcast that I do, If You Give a Mouse a Dagger, which is, uses the Fate Core System, but it's set in the Redwall universe of the Brian Jock novels, one of the characters, uh, Diggs the Bold, is a big badger knight. And his, one of his aspects is that he is the vanquisher of the great wolf. That's one of the things that is about him. And that's a positive thing because he can say, oh, well, I vanquished. He can say, I vanquished the great wolf. And then maybe the NPCs are a little bit scared of him or look at him in awe. Like, oh, my goodness, you're the guy who did that? You know, those kinds of things. And it can really give him a boost if he's trying to convince people that he is worth their time or he's going to get the job done right. But at the same time, if he's trying to hide or be sneaky or be in a crowd and not be noticed, I can take that and go, oh, but you're Vanquisher of the Great Wolf. So these people are going to notice you. And it would kind of ruin the situation that they're in. It is both positive and negative. It just depends on how you look at it, and that's uh, that's what makes a good aspect in the world of fate. I th-
0: I think it's also one of the things that, at least for when I was doing a session zero and helping get the players set up, it was the one thing that me and the other players had the most, the hardest time wrapping our heads around because, in in D anD D and other more systems focused games games that are more focused on like the numbers and okay you roll some dice and now you've got some stats it can be a little bit easier to figure out who your character is like if you know you look at the like take D, you look at the character classes and you're like mm, i want to play a warlock and then you roll up your stats and you've got your high stat which you'll put in i think it's charisma for, for charisma yeah yeah for warlocks and and then you look at your other stats and you're like okay well okay, I've got a low number, like I've got a a nine, for example, or an eight or, you know, something just a little bit under under 10, you go, well, maybe you put that in strength, like you're charismatic, but you're really weak, or you put that in dexterity, you're really clumsy, and it helps you kind of, the numbers can help you figure out who your character is if you don't know exactly what you want to be right off the bat. And but when it comes to fate with aspects, we all had a lot of trouble because we were kind of used to that, that whole system of using the numbers to help you define a character like we re like, I realized that it had kind of been a crutch that we didn't really realize was there.
2: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we've found in our session zeros for all of the fate sessions that we've played or different campaigns is just that nobody could actually create their characters the way they wanted to, at least in the aspect sort of uh, thought process, by themselves. And so we really worked together in order to create these characters and how they interacted with the world and things like that. And I don't know, it, it really brought everybody together, not only in a way that we were now all invested in the campaign, but we were also incredibly invested in each other's characters all of a sudden because we helped create them. Uh, I saw the the biggest one the first time that we played with the superhero campaign, and just the way that uh, some person came forward and said, "I want to play like this super soldier with storm powers," essentially, and then everybody else kind of created this backstory of how uh, a bit of power power raid kind of dripped into the DNA, while her non genetic father created super soldiers for the government, and it's just like there are these jokes, but then eventually we all. Really cared about each other's characters. And I think that might even be something that we can apply to other things. It's not like helping each other is only exclusive to fate, but I feel like if everybody found a little bit more of a collaborative thought process or workshop in order to create everybody's characters, then your players might be even more invested in the campaign than they already are. Because I don't think I've ever been. More invested in my players' characters than when we all came together and created it for this superhero campaign that we've been playing for a while now,
1: I think yeah uh, too, like kind of a weakness of d and d is like you can use the the stats you roll or point by or whatever, and you can base your character off it, but that doesn't necessarily say who your character is. it doesn't get to the core concept of them as a person it's just Oh, this is you know these are physical traits and stuff like this, but like in D and D, it's pretty easy to have two characters that have the same stats and are completely different. Um, but like I feel like in Fate, it's baked into the mechanics of it, and that can help with develop role play a lot easier. Because I, I know I've been guilty as a player of being one of those people who I, I roll up my stats, I you know, I, I, cho- I choose a class, and then I have no idea who my character is. I'm just like, I guess I'll just come up with one personality trait and roll with it, and that can be fine. But for like a long-running game, especially where you want to roleplay a lot, where that's a real focus, uh, it can be difficult sometimes to find all those details with just some
2: like rolled-out stats. I I find that all the time as well. I mean, we have that stereotype of, oh, I'm playing a barbarian. Well, they're dumb and stupid and they just hit things, right? Or I'm playing the stoic monk or the incredibly intelligent wizard. And they, we create these stereotypes from them. And I think it – I don't think it necessarily hurts create – well, I don't think it blocks creativity entirely, but I think it just kind of gives us a crutch to not expand our horizons and really go, you know what? I want to kind of break the mold with this one. Because I i mean, I found myself doing that all the time with all the D&D characters that I've played. You know, like I've played the dumb barbarian, but I could have done something different, like an incredibly intelligent barbarian that gets its uh, rage skills from like finding out runes that they tattooed on their skin in and that's what gives them super strength. I don't know. You know, I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> but I, I think the thing that's is, the point I'm trying to make. Yeah,
0: I think the thing is that with D and D, and other similar systems, I'm not trying to single out D and D here. Is that because the character creation process doesn't start with figuring out who your character is, people? tend to fall back on tropes like like you said the you know the the dumb angry barbarian or the super smart wizard or the you know thieving rogue or whatever it is but they fall back on those tropes because they've got these stats and well that's what that's what's easiest and when confronted with something like fate where there's no like oh, okay you you don't roll up stats you've got to figure out who your character is and that's kind of the entirety of the The character creation is really figuring out who they are. It can really throw i knew it threw me for a loop and and it can be quite difficult for some people to get past um but one of the things that uh that made a little bit more sense was the fate points um why don't you talk a little bit about how fate points work and how they interact with with aspects?
2: yeah, so fate points are these really cool. I don't. I mean, they're they're generally tokens, but it's this system that kind of allows the players to take over as essentially the GM for a little while. And I've only played as the, as a GM in a fate campaign. I've never actually played as a player, but I I don't know. I've learned a lot from from having to use these fate points because essentially when a character wants to what we call invoke aspect, use an aspect in order to create a bonus whether it's their character aspect or a world aspect or an environment aspect then they can spend this fate point and it essentially says hey Aubrey take the backseat for a second that your player is going to tell the story for right now so I hand over the reins and it's essentially like Matt Mercer's how do you want to do this kind of thing you know from critical role but it could be in any single situation it could be in a uh, there's some political intrigue or maybe it is a fight or maybe there's a chase, whatever it is, I kind of just have to give up. And it it not only kind of boosts the player's sense of control over the world and their character, but, it, I mean, it's just, it's awesome, personally, to just, I mean, they say, this is how this goes now. You don't get a say in it. And it's almost always better than whatever I come up with. Which is really fun because they know their characters better than I do.
0: And I think you, you brought up something uh, you kind of really quickly uh, passed over it, but it, it's something that we didn't touch on when we were covering aspects: is that characters aren't the only thing that have aspects. You can have um, aspect like compared with D anD D, where you have usually have a map or a battle mat or something like that. In Fate, you describe an area as using aspects. So if they're um a bunch of superheroes trying to track down a criminal and they end up going to, you know, some abandoned warehouse, like you'd use aspects to describe that. So you know you'd say like, oh it's a really dark area and it's filled with crates. And then as they um progress through like trying to sneak through the warehouse, they could use those at like they could invoke those aspects to accomplish whatever it is they're trying to get a to,
2: bonus on like yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no I it's okay I,
0: but yeah like yeah <laughs> they they can get you use it to get a bonus if they're trying to sneak through or they're trying to take them by surprise or whatever and i think that's that i think for me that was the part of because the characters having aspects was something that made a little bit of sense to me because i know not like i haven't been playing D that long like it's been just three years now But when I did do a game of of Fate, um, the the aspects for characters kind of made sense because I'd always thought of characters, character first, because I hadn't spent a whole bunch of time just doing the rolling up of characters. And being a GM, I kind of had to think about who the NPCs were. So it made more sense to think of aspects. But thinking of a location of having aspects of trying to describe it in terms of like This is an area and it's going to have some aspects. The players need to be able to interact with them. That, I think, was the part of aspects that really, what was really, I think, well, Jesus, I can't words today. (laughs) Um, Locations having aspects was the part that was the hardest to grasp for me.
2: Yeah, I know we're already way off topic with the, the fate points thing, but I absolutely agree and honestly as a gm what has the thing that's made me a better gm or dm because i also do some uh, D on the side with some other friends is is thinking of new places in the way of creating aspects within them you know i think about what can my players interact with that will make them both look cooler and feel cooler so using that warehouse example, right, like using the crates, oh, yeah, I'm going to put crates in here because that's going to give them a bonus to their stealth role. And if I say that there are crates in here and there's like this aspect of, oh, there's a lot of stacked crates, then if I'm playing Fate then they're going, oh, I want to invoke this aspect, they spend a Fate point, they say that just in the nick of time, they kind of roll in behind the crates and the villain has looked that way and sees that they're just crates and then they look back. It gives them that little bit of narrative. But if I'm playing D&D and I'm running a session in that way, and I've said that there are crates in this warehouse, then they say, now they have this descriptor of, oh, I hide right behind some crates just in time. And I'm just creating this environment in that thought process. And I think the only thing that's even better than this thought process of new areas having these aspects is the world itself the entire world that the characters are playing in having these aspects. And I think the best example that I've had so far is in that in the superhero game that I ran, the heroes got arrested for something and they made a few bad roles and ended up releasing every single prisoner from the prison by like destroying the <laughs> controls to the cell doors. And they didn't mean to do this, but All of a sudden, they created this prison riot, and everybody ran out, and they escaped under the cover of the situation aspect, prison riot. But then they eventually became known as the uh, puppeteers of the prison escape. Like, they were known as that. That was a party aspect that I gave them. And then since there were criminals everywhere, I created a world aspect of... There are criminals everywhere, or crime runs amok. I can't remember the exact wording of it. But because of that, the PCs, the players themselves, really understood that their actions had consequences within this world. And I hear all the time other game masters or dungeon masters saying that my my players just don't understand that what they do have consequences all their actions they have consequences whether they're murder hobos or whatever and i feel like if there is one thing that anybody should take away from fate it's the thought of world aspects because you take what your players do and how it affects the world and you just create a sentence out of it and you just post it on the table if you're playing face-to-face with other people or if you're playing in world 20 on the loading screen you just post the world aspects there and it really forces them to think about oh we did that how are we going to fix that how can we make sure that something like this doesn't happen again or if it's positive for them to continue to work towards creating more positive world aspects you know it's uh
1: it's funny i'm right now working on a setting and i've just added to my notes create world aspects. Because that's 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 really useful advice and it's you know, it's not something I had thought of because I'm you know, from a almost entirely D and D background and I'm used to building worlds or not even building worlds, running pre gen ones or ones that my friends have already run, where I'm like, Oh yeah, it's a high fantasy world and kinda of leave it at that. So that's a that's a really useful way to think about things, and I can see how you could move that between different settings and games and stuff like that. Um, I have a follow up question about fate points, which I know we've gotten a little yeah. away from. <laughs> uh, how do they work mechanically?
2: Yeah, so every character has what we call a refresh pool, I guess. Which means that every single session that they play, they get to start with a certain amount of fate points. And the default is three, but they can give up one of those things to have an extra stunt, which stunts are this kind of bridge between aspects and skills in which right. it says in these specific situation you can do this specific thing. Like, if you are, if you are casing out a new joint, then you get a plus two to burglary in order to make a, a blueprint of it, right? It's like a very specific thing that then you can apply to a very specific skill. That's not the point right now, but every, every session, characters begin with a certain amount of fate points, and then whenever they want to invoke an aspect... Of their own or a situation aspect or a world aspect or a party aspect or whatever you've created they spend a fate point with some situations withstanding and then i take that fate point and i put it into my pool of fate points and then they take over that is how players spend fate points uh, when they spend a fate point in order to invoke an aspect they get either a plus two to their role which is very significant given that the highest roll that you can make in fate is a positive 4 and the lowest roll that you can have in a game of fate is a negative 4 so a plus 2 can increase something from you know by 50% essentially like it's very significant
0: and just to so, so really quick for the people that have never played fate uh, it's played with d6s but they're not numbered 1 to 6 they've got uh three sides have a plus sign three sides have a minus sign and you basically add up the pluses and minuses I, and they cancel out.
2: It's it's actually not to step on your toes, it's two sides have a plus side, two sides have a minus side, right. and two sides are blank. Right. So a right, minus right, is right. negative yeah. one. Since the highest you can roll is a plus four, which means all four dice have four pluses, and the lowest thing you can get is negative four, which is four negatives, then that means that an addition of two. Can be very significant. The other option of when you spend a fate point in order to invoke an aspect is to re-roll your roll entirely, which you would really only save for if you had a negative four or a negative three, something like that. I don't remember what I was going to say after that. Oh, that's how that works from a player perspective. Now, from my perspective as the GM of these games, is I also get to spend fate points. And I do that in a way through a process called compels. Compels are how I take the negative traits of these aspects and I create situations that are worse for the players. So let me think if I can come up with a good one. There are two types of compels that I can do. There are a situation kind of compel like how i talked about how digs the bold and if you give him mouse a dagger has an aspect called vanquisher of the great wolf which means that people will recognize him and swarm him and go oh my goodness you're digs the bold now if he's trying to sneak through and even if he gets a good role i can say you know what eric i think that digs is recognized here I'm going to compel you and say that all of these people recognize you and make a very big deal that you are in the middle of this town square. And he has the option to accept that compel, in which case I would give him another fate point and he would add that to his pool of fate points, or he can give me a fate point and say, no, that doesn't happen. But the cool thing about compels working with aspects is if you do it right, it makes the world more exciting and your characters, your players are going to go for that. The other type of compel is a, like a decision compel. I can say that once again, the same character digs, the bold has his trouble aspect is we'll do anything for fame and glory. So I can say, you know what? I think Diggs is going to make the incredibly showboaty decision to do this specific action. And because of that, I think people are going to start getting mad at you because you're being a show-off. And Eric would probably say, yeah, I think that does happen. And then I would give him another fate point for him to use later. Now, Eric and Tessa and Hana are all incredible players in this podcast. And so generally, because of the aspect system that we've already created, they make those decisions before I can compel them. And so they... They say, you know what, I think that Diggs is a huge show off and he would do this and I think it would get him in trouble. And i be like, yeah, I think it will. And generally I would give them a fate point for that as well without the compel, but that's just my specific style, not necessarily part of the rules. But that's how it works on my side of things.
0: And players can compel each other, right?
2: That is also true. And so from there... I mean that I mean it just comes down to good interaction between the characters and how they seem to set each other up because they know each other's characters so well because we all created them together like it all just I guess it comes full circle with that anybody can compel anybody
0: Yeah and there's 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 a couple other mechanical things that I remember from Atomic Robo at least I don't know if they're part of the Fate Core system but like you know stunts can create temporary uh aspects and you can create aspects that have like a free mm-hmm. you can invoke them once or twice for free without having to spend a fate point but that's i think getting into the right. the nitty-gritty of of the rules
2: yeah i mean just to to kind of briefly go through it and then also give something that i like to do in my other dnd campaigns is that there is a move in fate called create an aspect in which you roll to create a situation aspect or an aspect on another character which then you can invoke without using a fate point in order to get a bonus. And I feel like the only... Th- I take that kind of thought process for when I'm running a and d session and one of my players does something really cool and how they interact with the environment. And because of my thought process with working through fate, I, I give them a mechanical bonus for doing something cool like that. Oh, there are these chains on the wall i rip them off and i use them to do this certain thing i don't know but it's it that kind of thought process really helps me as a dm reward my players for creative thinking
0: that kind of stuff is kind of already in D &D through like for example the first
2: like inspiration
0: well there's inspiration but what also comes to mind is like the so the players have some control over that as well with some of the things that they can do like for example the cleric spell guiding bolt which gives uh you know for the next round of combat anybody who attacks like if the guiding bolt hits successfully everybody has advantage to hit that that creature or whatever and i like i like the the whole like aspects and uh, players being able to create them and spending fate points uh, a little bit more because it has like first off it's more storytelling driven so you have to you can't just say oh i'm going to you know, my, on my turn, I'm going to use this skill and create this aspect that gives everybody a plus two whenever they're trying to hit them. They have to, to actually get more into the storytelling mode of things where they have to describe what they're doing and why it's creating this specific aspect. And there's a little bit more give and take between the the players and the DM. Um, but it's also a little like I've just found it more more fun when I did play the one game of fate that everybody felt a lot more drawn in. It wasn't a a mechanical thing of like, Oh, I hit him with a guiding bolt. Everybody's got advantage. Now it was, you know, they really got into the storytelling of like what's happening during this fight and how they're moving around and doing things to like, instead of everybody just kind of focusing on hit points and attacks, it becomes, it's okay for a character to not, ever throw a punch or fire a gun or use their superpowers or whatever in a fight because they can spend the entire fight still drawn into the story of how everything's going, but they're not directly contributing. They're making it easier for you know the heavy hitter or whoever it is to, to for them to do their job, which is to be the heavy hitter.
2: Yeah, you'll actually, if you listen to the podcast, uh, if you give a mouse a dagger, you'll see that there's a character called Clementine Who's an old squirrel? She's an elderly squirrel, and so fighting's not her thing. You know, she doesn't beat people up. She's old, and her joints hurt, and so she contributes to every combat by creating these aspects, generally through giving bad guys a really good talking to, or knocking <laughs> things over, or flipping. So, sp- like, it's it's crazy, and it it just adds this really fun thing because there's really only one fighter because there's an old person a very buff badger, and then an incredibly young hamster in this game. And so the first and the and the last, they're not fighters. Just the big guy in the middle is. And so they basically kind of stack up these aspects, and then the big guy comes around and uses those aspects to knock them all down. It's, it's really fun. And then also at the same time, actually, I think on Wednesday, we ran this fight in the Superhero Fate campaign that I do, in which they were fighting this giant statue that was several stories tall. And so they the players worked together and they stacked up like six aspects against this bad person. And then the strongest person was like, "Oh, I do like this lightning punch directly in the middle and I invoke all these aspects at the same time." Ended up creating like this plus 12 roll <laughs> to their their attack. It was it was phenomenal. And it's just it not only has this creativity kind of thing to it but also at the same time it promotes this teamwork like i set him up you knock him down i set him up again you knock him down and it's just really fun to watch people get into it that way
0: i think one of the things like having uh, read through the rule books and read some articles online is that the thing i like the most about fate is that when you do get into combat like or any situation in fate Like a session is more like an episode of a TV show or a a comic book issue or a movie where you build up to this big action and you have this big climax. Whereas with a a session of D anD D, you can have you know a couple of encounters, but all of them feel kind of samey. And whereas with with Fate, you have these you know these moments of yeah, like like you said, like you have this big moment where everybody has set up the big bad guy and you've laid on a bunch of aspects and you get that, that one big punch in. Whereas with D and D it's kind of a more constant, just whittling down all the bad guys, even if you're you know, facing off against whether you're facing off a bunch of mooks or the big bad from the player's point of view. And even like myself, I've noticed that it all just kind of feels samey. Like the situation might be a little bit more exciting if, you as the DM have put in a lot more work to make it exciting. But with fate, everything tends to just be more exciting because you've got everybody getting in on the storytelling, creating these aspects and using them and playing off one another.
1: I, I think one place where uh, fate is in some ways stronger than D and D is the fact that you can create characters who don't have to be combatants. Like you can have a character who still contributes, who never throws a punch uh, like through creating aspects, or you know, other skills, or describing how they're like, you know, defending themselves in a way that causes the enemy harm without actually hitting them or whatever. Like, it, it allows you to be a bit more creative with your characters. Where then D and D, your character essentially has to be a combatant, uh, just mechanically speaking.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, with the with the exception of like a you play a bard in D and they're the talker, they're like the face of the party and can get through charisma checks really well. That's but, true, yeah. Yeah. But I I totally understand.
0: Yeah. When it comes down to an encounter, the bard still has a con like you know, you can have characters who are good outside of combat, like bards or people with high charisma, but at the end of the day they've still got skills where they can in a combat be part of the damage output whereas yeah like in fate the atomic robo game that i ran one of the characters was an action psychologist he didn't throw a single punch but he used his psychologist skills to uh really get in the mind of the bad guy they were fighting and cause him to doubt himself and it was you know a kind of moment that you would never really see in D. whereas like a bard might be able to give somebody else advantage because they you know they belittle the bad guy, but it's a temporary advantage, and it's just kind of a oh I used you know vicious mockery or whatever to give somebody else advantage during the next round. Whereas in in fate, it's there's more much more storytelling involved, and everybody kind of can get in on it. And like you said in in the game that you're running, you've got three players, and only one of them really ever hits anybody, and that's not something you'd really ever see in D&D. Yeah, I think
2: it comes down to the fact that D&D and a lot of other RPGs are so number-heavy, like I was talking at the beginning, right? Combat kind of feels like you're on a treadmill until you get that level up, and now you have that new ability, or you get that magic item, and now you have this other cool ability that you can use. But otherwise, you're kind of just using the same skill set, and the same attacks, and the same moves, unless the situation itself changes and it's that is super duper helpful in the way that if you don't feel that comfortable being creative yet then you can you can rely on that but in fate you're forced to be creative in order to get those bonuses and you it really comes down to how comfortable you are about thinking outside of the box And this is just a personal thing that I don't think has anything to do with RPGs, but as a a teacher and a musician and a GM and all these other things is that everybody's super creative. And if you can find a way to apply it to whatever you're playing, you're going to have a more fun time. And I feel like fate may facilitate this creativity, but it's not like you can't do it in other games like Dungeons and Dragons, you know? get yourself outside the box and be creative and from there i think you just have a more fun time
0: one game that i think does the meshing of mechanics and creativity pretty well is the uh the the newer star wars system from fantasy flight because um I've, i've talked about it a little bit on the show before but what it comes down to is um they've got a different system of dice. Like they've got dice that are the same shape and size as I think they've got a D20, a D8 and a D6. But the way that it works is that it's actually kind of a little bit like um, fate dice where you've got, they've got three different symbols for good and three different symbols for bad. And they, they cancel out, but you can end up in a situation where, you know, you roll the dice because you're in the middle of a fight and you're trying to attack somebody and you hit them. But, there's some like minor or major bad thing that happens. Like maybe, you know, you shot somebody and it hurt them, but you know, you're in the middle of a crowded area and somebody like running, you're, you're in a crowd and somebody bumps into you and you fall over and hit your head. So you get a, uh, you accumulate a little bit of stress. Um, And it's also got uh, force points, which are kind of like uh, fate points in a way, but they let, they let players, influence the story like they they're basically these little cardboard chips that have a one side is light side the other side is the dark side and they can be used by the players to say like you know they're in the middle of a fight and they've run into a closet and they need to heal themselves they they can use one of the force points to be like and i find a med kit and they can influence the story but the thing is is that by flipping it over to use it they've turned it into a dark side point which lets me use it that, against them
2: i guess i guess I feel bad now because I didn't go over this when we were talking about fate points. But creating a, a, a part of the story that formerly wasn't there is actually a thing of fate points in the fate system. Like they can create a, they can declare a story detail, like finding a medkit in the closet. But I love the fact that in Star Wars it would turn into a dark side ship. Like I like how it it turns over. Yeah, that's pretty clever.
0: Yeah, I think this the the fantasy flight star Wars is kind of, I I've played that as well. And it, it's, I feel like it's the midpoint between a more, much more mechanics heavy system like D and D and the more storytelling free will freewheeling system of of fate. So for people that are looking for something that's still got some of the mechanics, but still has a lot more storytelling to it. I think star Wars is a good system to check out, but
1: you know, I, I actually think this brings us nicely to the next thing we wanted to talk about, which is uh, the four outcomes. So, uh, Aubrey, you had mentioned in our emails that there's success and failure, obviously, but there are other like guidelines for uh, for the rules for when you roll. Could you talk a bit about those?
2: Yeah, actually, I love this, and I think we can actually talk about a few different games that do this at the same time. But in Fate Core, there are four different outcomes. The first one is failure the second one is a tie the third one is a success and then the fourth one is a success with style and i really f- feel that i lean more towards fate core because of this kind of outcome system because let's say you're doing like let's say i'm dming D, and somebody rolls a perception check Right? If they don't hit the DC, then it's just a failure. But if they do, then they see what I want them to see. Essentially, it's just kind of my original mindset of being a DM. And I've such since then shifted from that. But in Fate, let's say. Let's say one of the characters is picking a lock and trying to do it silently. If they roll and they fail completely. What it says in Fate is not only do they not get what they they either get what they want or they succeed with a very, very serious cost. And so, you know, uh, this person is picking a lock and they fail. And then I say, okay, do you want to just fail? And they say, yes. I'm like, okay, well, you don't pick the lock. But also at the same time, they say, you know what? I do want to pick the lock. And I go, okay. So, you pick the lock, but at the same time, the alarm for the entire complex goes off, and everybody knows exactly where you are, because you just picked that locked door. They got what they wanted, but there's a serious cost. And then the next thing is that they can tie. So if they match the DC with the exact same roll, then I can say, all right, you get what you want, but the minor cost is that, let's say, your lockpick breaks, or it's just noticeable enough to where somebody in the next room says something to you like hey who's out there in which case it would put them in another bad situation that they have to roll again to get out of which is a very fun system the next one is just kind of success they do what they want what is the next thing you want to do which is honestly the most bland of all the options and then the last one is the succeed with style which means that they have to win by like three shifts three numbers at least In which case, I would say, you know what, you are going through this, but then you notice that the hinges are very old. So while you're picking this lock with your two hands, you know, your character reaches into their belt and pulls out a can of oil and oils the hinges with their feet. You know, something ridiculous that makes them seem super awesome. And... From there you go, not only have you picked the lock, but you get this added bonus of the door is completely silent and nobody will hear you enter this room from here. So it's kind of this descriptive narrative of you do this extra thing, or you just succeed, or you succeed, but at the same time this bad thing happens, or with a failure it is, wow, things have gone south, you are in big, big trouble now. And it just kind of rewards these different tiers rather than just a fail and a success.
0: I think that's one of the things, after having played Fate and Star Wars and even Eclipse Phase, which has a little bit of that baked into it where you can succeed with Flare or, or fail and still get a little bit out of it, that coming back to D&D and coming back to the just you have to either you know meets it beats it is is the the whole thing it always felt a little like coming back to that felt constraining where before you know because i've read things on online people talking about you know you don't make the players roll unless there's something like an actual bad outcome like if they're wanting to if they need to get through a door Unless they're trying to sneak through a castle, for example, and there are guards patrolling and they could be found at any moment, but like then it makes sense for the to get them to roll because if they fail, like a guard could come around the corner because they weren't quick enough. but if they're you know wandering through an abandoned castle or a place where there's no no potential for something actually bad to happen, then yeah, they just they pick the lock, they make it through cool whatever. Whereas with these other systems, where you know they could succeed, but maybe they did get spotted and now the guards are on high alert, or they succeeded with Flare and the guards are even more at ease like they, you know, maybe the guards start to get sloppy or whatever, like having those things built into the mechanics of the game can lead to pretty surprising outcomes and much more interesting outcomes
2: and honestly it's so hard to train yourself as a dm to like think in this mindset because it's so much easy with the duality of you pass or you fail but forcing yourself to be creative with other solutions is tough especially when it's not built into the mechanics like i think one of the systems that works with this really well is the powered by the apocalypse kind of games if you've ever played any of those Like uh, I'm a part of a monster of the week podcast called Charlie and the monster factory in which you hunt down monsters. And the way the system works is you roll two D six. And if you get a one through a six, you fail a seven to a nine is a mixed success. And then a 10 plus is a success. And like the average is the seven to the nine in rolling two D six plus any modifier. So built into the game is this, you get it, but this terrible thing happens. And you have to really switch your mindset in order to figure out, well, what could be a little bit of both a success and a failure? And we work together to do that. I I like having that mechanic in there, but even with D&D, sometimes you go, you know what, this might not call for a, a fail or a success kind of DC. Maybe I need to set... Like ranges, like if my players roll a one through ten, this is what they find. If they roll a ten through a fifteen, this is what they find. A fifteen plus is just a success; they find everything. You know, like it just kind of it can be applied to anything, but it's hard to change that mindset.
0: Yeah, and I think the difference is that in D anD D, it's it's on the DM to sort that out to figure out, like, okay, yeah, if they if the DC is fifteen and they roll, you know, fifteen to to seventeen, then They open the chest and they find the letter. But if they roll really high, then they find the incriminating letter and they find the bloody dagger, you know? And in other systems, like in in the Star Wars and in Fate, it's much more, because it's part of the system and the players kind of know to expect it, you start to train them to to realize, like, well, you were supposed to roll, you you needed to roll above a three and you got because of all these aspects that you invoked, you got a 10. So what does that mean? Like, how do we, where do we go from here? What is the story? What do you feel that direction the story takes now? And it's the same for the Star Wars system where, you know, they succeeded, but they had like something, a minor bad thing needs to happen. And what, what is that? Did your character, um you know, hit their head when they were somersaulting over the over the fence, or did something else happen and and what does that mean going forward whereas in d and d it's it's all on the d m which is stressful and takes so much work, and eventually you just stop doing it because it is it's all on you it's all it's a one way street rather than a two way conversation
2: I agree wholeheartedly, and I don't think I can add anything,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, we've talked a lot about Fate in comparison to D&D. Uh, what are maybe some lessons we could take from Fate and apply to running games like D&D?
2: Mm. Well, I think I've touched over most of the things I can think of, like the world aspects. I think that's a big one. That's like the biggest takeaway to get your players invested in the world. But I guess maybe during character creation, you could steal this aspect system as well in order to get people more invested in their characters would honestly be a big thing, man. I really, I really feel like I've said everything I wanted to say. And now I feel awkward trying to answer this question.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think one thing that, that you could do is try to like, cause the, the whole thing with, with fate and the fate points and the aspects and the outcomes and how i how i've seen other systems use it is i think the kind of the magic of fate for me is how it draws players out from being just players they become almost co-dms in a way or gms because it's fate and not dnd right <laughs> but i think trying to figure out ways that you can draw the players into Into helping decide what happens, like if if the players are at a party where they're trying to get information, and you know they roll like diplomacy or charisma when they're trying to get some information out of somebody, you can ask the players, like, "Well, what do you think happens? You rolled abysmally. You got a one when you're trying to, you know, talk to this baron or whatever. What do you think happens?" and try to draw them more into helping decide what happens, you know, in social situations or in combat or whatever it is, drawing your players out from just the mindset of we're in combat. I'm going to, when it comes to my turn, I pick a thing and I roll and cool. I hit, I do some damage. I roll some more dice and trying to draw them more into the story because at the end of the day, whether it's fate or D or the end of the world system or star Wars or whatever it is that you're playing. We're all trying to tell a story and drawing your players out so that they're taking a more active role, I think is the biggest thing that I learned from, from fate and the other systems.
2: Yeah. When everybody's invested, everybody has fun and the more people have fun, the better the time is for everybody. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's it's just when everybody wants to do it, the game becomes better and the story becomes better. And it turns in from something that people do once a week to something that consumes their waking hours. What's gonna happen next? What's my (laughs) you know, what is my party gonna do next? What's the coolest thing that we can think of? And yeah, you as a GM can not only you, you don't have to feel like it's your job to make everything cool. Put some of that pressure on your players. Not pressure, I would say opportunity on your players. Yeah. Give give that opportunity to your players. Not only will you will it make your life better, because you won't have to plan every single outcome for everything, it'll make their lives better because they feel like they contributed some extra.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I you know, I think that about Wraps up our talk about fate. So uh we've got one I guess two technically, but we've got one last question for you, Aubrey, which is uh if you had a time machine and you could uh you could use it to go back and give yourself some
2: advice for when
1: you first started running Fate, what would it be?
2: I think the biggest piece of advice I would give would be don't feel like you have to control everything. Fate within itself creates more of a sandbox than anything else and trust that your players will not only love whatever you create but whatever you guys create together. Yeah. I think I think that's I, the advice I would give.
1: Yeah, I think you can use variations of that advice to just running tabletop games in general, you know, it's and
2: doing anything. Yeah. So I think uh, it's also very good advice for if you're a boss of a workplace. To, to be honest, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I wish my boss gave me more thing. Anyways, you don't have to talk about my boss in this.
1: <laughs> so, Aubrey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, are where can people find you online? And are there any? Or please, you know, take this opportunity to plug your shows. Yeah,
2: that. Well, thank you so much for having me. Number one, this has been a blast. I love talking about RPGs. It's one of my favorites. I am the creator and owner of the Positive Thoughts Podcasting Network. That is P-O-D-S-I-T-I-V-E, Thoughts. You can find us at positivethoughts.com. We have four shows on the network currently that I am in some way a part of. The two actual play podcasts that we have is the one that IGM called If You Give a Mouse a Dagger. It is a Core actual play podcast set in the Redwall universe, the Brian Jacques novel series the second thing that i i play in this one it's called charlie and the monster factory it is a monster of the week actual play podcast and then the last two podcasts that aren't actual play is boss fight with austin and aubrey in which austin my friend austin and i we do a comedy advice show and then okay so hear me out the hosts pick a topic every week and they create outlandish ideas for how to improve the world with that topic and it's a lot of fun when they do that they do we they just got into their second season for that one. So that's really cool. Those are all the shows that I am somewhat involved in and that's it. I think go check those out. They're fun. They're very fun.
1: Alrighty, um, I I can confirm that if you go to Dagger and Charlie and the Monster Factory are both very fun.
2: Oh, Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. It just means so much.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. I think I've been sitting here staring at the the books. Uh, I've above my desk. I've got all my RPG books, and I'm sitting here staring at the the <laughs> Dresden Files, which is a uh, uh, they use. I don't think it's it's not the Fate Core. It's Fate Accelerated,
2: it's a form of Fate Accelerated. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I've been wanting to play Dresden for a while because I love the book so much, and I think after this, I'm definitely gonna take the book off the shelf and give it another read. Do it. Do it. it. <laughs> Do Do it. it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again sometime.
2: Yeah, anytime. Just ask. I have no schedule. I only work with four podcasts and run a podcast network, and I'm a full time teacher. <laughs> I have so much free time. I <laughs> just so much.
0: Yeah, on top of being oh geez, uh, like being on four podcasts and then also being a teacher. Like I, yeah, that is that is a lot. <laughs>
2: and i know that most people won't understand this but i'm not just a teacher i'm a band director in texas so there's i don't know there's a lot and yet i still make time to actually play other games with my friends and things i don't know i don't know how i'm doing this this is insane
1: wait do you have the time machine from the question is that how you're doing all of this well,
2: it's more like a Time Turner from Harry Potter, but we don't—I <laughs> don't like to talk about it that much because that could be exploited for evil. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Yeah, thanks Thank again.
1: Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on social media at at DMs of Vancouver and also on Facebook.
0: Uh, you can find this podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts.
1: And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes, and t- tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth really helps shows like ours grow and find an audience.
0: And we're also part of the Cave Goblin Network.
1: You can find our shows and many others at cavegoblins.com.
0: And you can support us and the rest of the network at patreon.com cavegoblins.
2: Doug Vandalay here for Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. Each week, I sit down with a comedian to talk about their career and their comedic influences. Learn about your favorite comedians talking about their favorite comedians. That's Comedy Zeitgeist on the Cave Goblin Network. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network.
1: This